I've seen what war does to people. It brings the animal out in you. You can't just turn it off when the fighting is over and done. It's still there. It becomes a part of you and who you are. After the first battle, we realized there were no weapons of mass destruction. And we weren't there making the world a better place. And that's the whole reason why I joined. Welcome to the Battle Bud Podcast, <laughs> Joe Mary. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me. So for, you, for people that don't know, uh, Joe Mary, he is a Marine Corps combat engineer. He did two tours in Iraq and Fallujah. Master's degree from Texas A&M. And he's uh, currently a filmmaker, advocate for veterans, and now for first responders. So um, what made you join, Joe? Um, what made me join uh, the Marine Corps? Right. Yeah, so um, I was a senior in San Antonio at Ronald Reagan High School when 9-11 happened. I was already talking to a recruiter at this time. I'd, uh, I'd already been accepted into college and... Anyway, 9-11 happened, and, and I said, all right, let's do this. And I said, I want to go as soon as you can, as, as soon as I possibly can. And, and on June the 5th, I walked the stage and turned 18 and checked into a hotel room uh, to leave for, for boot camp. And so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was back in 2002. Yeah, 2002? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I graduated in 01, and um, I had a scholarship for football. And when I was in college, I felt like crap because I was playing a game and people were out fighting, you know, and I was just partying on my off time. You know, I was, I didn't see a future there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I saw myself getting in trouble a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I, I dropped out, man. And I joined the Navy and took off from there. Like it was quick too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's quick like you. That's a trip, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you something. So whenever you whenever you left, because it was real close to that that time period, um, when the towers fell. So, what was what was the what was what was the um, atmosphere like going from here to boot camp? Oh man, that was um, you know I, I was a very sheltered suburban kid that grew up in you know an upper middle class community. I didn't. I didn't know anything about the world. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so kind of going from this, uh, you know, this very safe, very, you know, I don't even know how to put it, um, environment, you know, in San Antonio to Marine boot camp and, and training, it was, it, I mean, it, at, at the time it was absolutely without question, the biggest shock of my life. Um, it was a trip. I mean, I, but I wanted to be there, and I, I really embraced it. There were definitely some hard times, but, I mean, I, I gave myself to the Marine Corps. I gave myself to that cause. and uh, yeah. yeah. For sure. And I, I always say, like, <clears throat> um, like Vietnam vets, they, they got the worst of it, right? So yeah. I, I always, like, try to compare, like, because whenever I went, people were happy that we were going. Yeah. You know? The whole freaking country was behind that. There's a there was a specific reason why we were going. Yeah. Everybody wanted revenge, right? Everybody was like, "Hey," and 
good for you, you know, go get them, you know, that, whatever. Yeah. And then you think, like, back in the day, like, when my parent, when my dad went to the uh, Marine Corps, he was, uh, he was, he was Marine too. And uh, they didn't get the same kind of go away, you know? Oh, yeah, no, so, absolutely not. It was, uh, it was a hugely unpopular war and also at a time where veterans and military members didn't get a lot of support. Uh, and also there, you know, it was socially acceptable at the time to, to, you know, be ugly to right. veterans. And, uh, you know, I thank God they, they made sure that what happened to them didn't happen to us. And I'm really grateful to the Vietnam veterans yeah. and that generation that, you know, that, that, you know, brought us the, the, the respect and the resources and the, the benefits that you and I, you know, we enjoy today as disabled veterans. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about that, man. Cause, um, when we come back for more, there's certain things that, that we need help with, um, mentally, sometimes physically, um, most of the time spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, no question. So, um, can you kind of go over uh, one or two incidents that happened over there that, that really got you on a downward spiral? I'm not sure there was, there was one or two incidents, um, just kind of broad stroke things. I left for Marine boot camp in, in June of, of 2002. Um, from there, I went to uh, Marine combat training, and then and that was also in California, then engineering and demolition school on the East Coast in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And then I got to, I got to my unit in December of 2002, and then we at the end of December, 2002. And then we deployed to the Kuwaiti desert like a month later. And so like I was fresh out, fresh out of training. And uh, then we went to the Kuwaiti desert. And uh, then a couple months later, the war actually started, started. And it was one of the first Marines across the LOD. We ran through a burning oil field and chemical suits. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was something else seeing and doing all of that. Um, How were you greeted over there? By the by the by the people that lived out there. Oh, ecstatically, they yeah. they saw us as as uh, they saw us as they saw us as liberators and as heroes. I mean, we were being chased around. I mean, say chased around, and we would stop, and people would run up and hug and kiss us and give us things. And uh, right, um, can you explain why that it, that was? Um, if if you were part, my understanding, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an Iraqi. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't, I don't understand very much about their political, social political situation over there. But speaking with a lot of Iraqis that I have um, over my life, you were either part of Saddam's inner circle and part of that Ba'ath Party, the ruling class, and things were amazing, or you weren't, and you hated Saddam and you hated the Ba'ath Party, and that was the majority of people. And so, you know, here, you know, you have these people that are desperately poor yeah. and very badly abused and mistreated. And here come the Americans. And I mean, I remember people saying, you know, like Iraq, you know, state 51, you know, Americans, we're all part of, we're all together. You know, they, they loved yeah. us. And, and, um, you know, it was really, really hard, uh, really yeah. heartbreaking seeing, you know, all that stuff that happened afterwards. Yeah, I, I bet. Um I actually saw, I went on your Facebook and I saw some pictures that you had up there 
from uh from Fallujah and and, and Iraq and uh, you had a couple pictures out there with the with some children. Oh yeah, that you were posing with the kids and stuff. And um, I mean, did you have did you make bonds with the kids while you were there? Or? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, I love the Iraqis. I love the locals. Um, just some of the most kind. That's some of the kindest, most dignified, and and most generous people I've ever met. And um, you know, it's um, it wasn't hard to make friends out there. I mean, for me, yeah. just you know, I treated them. Like everyone else, my tolerance for being rude or ugly or mistreating the locals was zero. I uh, didn't allow that for a second. And um, people, you know, I mean, they feel you out. And, you know, once they, like, it's a bad situation, but once people like, okay, this is this is a person I like, this is a person I can trust, and, and you just start to build relationships and friendships. And, I mean, I've played dominoes and drank yeah. tea and, I mean, eaten, you know, plates of flatbread and roasted chickens and... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I never had, well, not never, but, but, but I love the Iraqis and I, I I love those people and and it just breaks my heart seeing all of, you know, all the horrible stuff that's happened. And and for the, for the followers, um, for the listeners that are listening right now, um, can you, can you explain what happened whenever y'all, y'all picked up and left? You know, I don't, I don't know what caused, um, the the bigger part of the problem that's probably a general or a politician somebody with a you know I was a I was a junior enlisted marine I was the very lowest person on the totem pole um, but but I really don't I don't really know my my understanding was is that um, you know they the the army was disbanded the bath party was dismantled and uh, people didn't have jobs anymore and people didn't have stability and they didn't have pensions. And however those issues were addressed, you know, you have a lot of unemployed people. All of a sudden you had a lot of unemployed people that were angry and hungry and scared. Yeah. And, and then of course, you know, the military is not, you know, we're not nation builders. We're not construction right. workers. We're guys running around with deadly weapons. And so yeah. bad stuff will happen. It's, and I think it just all, eventually added up. I think that Abu Ghraib was one of those things that like really went a long way to discrediting and undermining what we were trying to do there. And I don't blame them. Um, but yeah, it just, things started really piling up and, you know, I mean, it was a war zone and, you know, how would you feel if, you know, somebody, you know, puts a checkpoint outside of your house or accidentally shoots your daughter? Do you care that, oh, well, we didn't mean to, like, does that, you know, they, like, they don't yeah. care. And, that, and that's one thing that, that Americans, like, we take for granted, man. Like, and no, nobody in this era has ever dealt with war at, the, at home. Yeah, you know, never, yeah. Our, the war has never been brought to us, yeah. right? <clears throat> and, um, and that's why, like, there's a kind of a disconnect. Uh, a lot of people are real, like, I guess, uh, nonchalant about war. You know, because they yeah. don't, they just don't know. They don't know. Yeah. And, um, and I think if they, and you know what, man, I, I think that, that you making these short films and, and showing what goes on over there and, um, like the reality of war, the mentality, the, the mental state that we, that soldiers are in, you know, during war, mm-hmm. um, I think that helps citizens connect 
You know what I mean? I, I think it helps them understand. And and that's the that's the point of my work is it's it doesn't have a political agenda. It's the the point is is I want people to to understand what war really is and what yeah. it really feels like. And it's you know the books and the movies and their own you know way kind of romanticize it. It feels yeah. like this glorious and this right. amazing thing that you're doing and. You know, you don't. It's not always that. <laughs> yeah, it's almost never that. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, that's that's the point. Is and I also want people to understand that that the stuff we do, it doesn't end when you go home. Yeah. Like it's it's still there. It's still a major problem. And so, that's that's what oh, yeah. I'm trying to do is is try to give people a more honest look at what war really is. Well, yeah, it's two it's two different wars for a soldier, right? Yeah. For any enlisted. You know, the war they fight overseas and the war they fight here yeah. within themselves. Absolutely. You know, um, and that's where we come in and, and, you know, we have to build this resource, wall of resources for the people to be able to get help. Right. You know, because veterans, first responders, all of us, I mean, we, we're falling day by day to suicide. You know, we're, we're killing each other. We're killing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of it is not knowing what the hell is wrong with us and mm. not getting the proper help. Right. Yeah. So I think that written word, and I say this all the time, man, written word and spoken word, um, even, and, and also the, the films, short films, all that stuff, documentaries, man, all that is, is knowledge that somebody, when somebody sees it, that don't know anything about it, they're like, Oh man, I have that. You know, I have a lot of those symptoms. Yeah. You know, let me look into this, you know, and then that, gets them on that path of recovery yeah you know and uh hopefully we save at least one person you know and if that happens then i'm i'm that happy was worth what it, I'm doing. Yeah. yeah so let's talk about this uh children's crusade man sure um explain what it is and why you made it um the, the children's crusade is a is a short film it's about a the short it's it's actually it's actually the final chapter of a book I'm working on. Um, the short film is, is basically the final chapter. And, um, but it's, it's about a, uh, a poor farmer from Texas and a poor farmer from Iraq. And they're both born, uh, on the same time at the same day. And, uh, they grow up living these parallel lives. And, um, uh, you know, obviously they're an ocean away from each other, but their lives start to converge after nine 11. And it just, um, you know, war is old men talking and young men dying. Um, it shows this kind of tragic and unfortunate series of events that, um, you know, brings their lives together. And they ultimately end up meeting in Fallujah on different sides of the battle. And neither yeah. of them are bad people. Uh, they're both wonderful people. And, um, you know, and if the circumstances have been different, they would have been good friends. But instead, they're they're here on the battlefield murdering each other. Right. And, um, yeah, um, so the the point is I just kind of wanted to show the the cruelty and the brutality and the confusion. Um, people people get it in their heads that you know they, they really you cannot comprehend how chaotic the actual battlefield is. You know, when they're playing video games, they're seeing it on a movie, they see yeah. arrows and they say, oh, Okay, well you, know, you actually know almost nothing and just getting getting your Marines you know, to the battlefield, pointed in the wrong, right direction, and getting them not to shoot the wrong people yeah. is 99% of the battle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then not only that, like, just 
being able to see life escaping from a body. Yeah. Like that right there, like, man. I know the first time that happened to me, I just I did I did yeah. I was so confused at first, but then I was like, man, it's so crazy how fast life goes. It's weird. You know? And it's and, weird. And it's it uh you take a lot for granted man, <laughs> yeah. before you before you understand yeah. that. Everything you do, you take for granted. Yeah. You know? It's just it's crazy to me. I I know for me that that little eight minute video that he made was very powerful, man. Yeah. Um it showed the ugliness of war, but also it showed the respect that our warriors have with each other. Yeah. No, no matter what side we're on. Yeah. yeah. You know, because he knows that in his in his mind, he's 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 saving him and his family. Like he's yeah. he's fighting for him and his family. Yeah. In our mind, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like there's a there's a respect there. Um, yeah, it's it's some. I mean, I don't have anything um, against the people yeah. I fought in Iraq. I don't have anything against them. Um, I don't. I don't have bad thoughts about them or anything. And so, you know, I really do. I really. I hope they're well. I hope them and their families are well and safe, and that you know there is no violence or war in their lives. That's. that's I hope that for yeah. all of them. For sure. For sure. And um, the ending, man. I loved it. I love the ending. I told you earlier. Um, it's lots of real footage of, of, uh, of you, your crew, uh, the people out there, stuff y'all went through and, um, it was very well put together. You did a great job on it. Thank you. Um, I think, uh, warriors, any warriors, a major goal in life is peace. Right. And, um, I, I just, I wish people knew that, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So um, there's a there's a uh, a quote by Douglas MacArthur: "Soldiers pray for peace more than anyone else because they're the ones that suffer from the this they're the ones that suffer the deepest wounds and scars of war when they come back." Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty pro peace now. Give you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, wh- whenever you came back. Or should I say, when when was it that you started forming addictions, like to alcohol or? Because I know for me, I started after my first deployment. Right when I came back, I started. You know, but I didn't realize I didn't realize it was an addiction. Yeah, I didn't realize nothing was wrong with me until after I got out of the military, and I was like, I'm not supposed to be acting like this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I mean, pretty much immediately. Um, you know, I, I came from a came from a home where you know alcohol consumption was very, very high, and so you know, I'd, I've been watching people you know get drunk. I yeah. mean, pretty much my entire life. But then you go into the Marine Corps, and uh, at least at the time, there was drinking culture was huge, and um, you know, obviously, you can't drink in boot camp and stuff like that. But I mean, as long as you know, we're all underage or nearly yeah. every one of us is underage, but as long as we stayed in the barracks and we didn't fight, they let us pretty much drink whatever we wanted. And I mean, on a Friday and a Saturday, I mean, I mean, when you'd, you'd get a case of beer. Yeah. And if you fell asleep before you finished your beer, every one of your beers, you were going to get, <laughs> you're going to wake up without eyebrows and <laughs> have some pro- 
privates drawn on your oh yeah absolutely 100 <laughs> percent yeah 100 percent and so drinking uh, culture was always was always really big um, i never drank during the week but um you know that's that was when alcohol consumption became a really hard and really um you know big part of my life but i mean the addictions i mean it always seemed to be something whether it was alcohol or tobacco or yeah. i was always addicted to something and working out i would work out until you know i was injured and you know going to school you know and and taking you know just I'm, i i seemed to have always been addicted to something there was just always um a need to fill some sort of void and, and i tried to keep that busy with you know, now I don't drink like I used to, but, but I still, I need to stay busy. That's, yeah. that's what keeps me level-headed and out of trouble. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah for sure. And also it keeps that, those uh, negative thoughts and everything out of your head. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I totally get that. Um, how did, how did any of those ad addictions mess with your family or your personal life? Oh yeah. Horribly. Yeah. Um, my biological family is another thing altogether but um you know with my relationships you know i didn't you know i wasn't the kind of alcoholic that was going home and drinking every night but um like for instance in college you know i basically went straight from the military to college and um you know taking a heavy you know science and math course load um but like on friday night um i generally didn't work go to class or study on Saturday and I usually studied on Sunday, but like on a Friday night, I would have four or five bottles of wine. Like yeah. I would drink until I was unconscious. Yeah. Um, you know, or marijuana, you know, just, yeah. just chain smoking until, you know, you just can't feel feelings. I call it numbing out. I don't know what other people call it, but, um, you know, when you're just, you're whatever it is, whatever that feeling, that just negative, painful, whatever. It's like once I stopped whatever it was I was doing, whether it was going to school or working or whatever else, you know, reality would set in right. and having nowhere to, to put it, you know, it's, it's easy to turn to substances. You know, it's the easy, it's a, it's a, in the short term it works. It just feels better to be drunk or to be stoned um, than it does to suffer. Yeah. And I think that's what drives most people's addictions. For sure. For sure. Um, what what was it that made you turn make that turnaround? Like, what was it that made you want to heal yourself? Um, well, I mean, I think everybody that's injured wants to be healed. Um, but you know, for me, my my interpersonal relationships were pretty horrible. Um, and you know, everywhere, everything from friends and family to professionally, you know, I having a lot of conflict um, and not necessarily alcohol related, but um, you know, the, I hadn't, you know, I'd been diagnosed with PTSD. I was diagnosed, um, I think it was like 2015. And so I, you know, I, on an intellectual level, level I knew it at that point. Um, but what I've noticed with my suffering or my pain, and I've noticed this with, with a lot of other people too, when you have that pain and you have that suffering and you have so much of it stored inside you that it's, it's going to come out somewhere. Right. And the people that end up usually catching it are your friends and your family because they're the ones that are around you. Yeah. Um, and so that's just one of the kind of cruelest 
like most tragic ironies of the whole thing of the whole PTSD thing is the people you end up hurting are the people you love the most. Oh, yes. For and, sure. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's that sucks. Bad because um I know I know what you're talking about on that because with me like what my my deal was was I knew that I had a short fuse yeah I knew that everything agitated me like I knew I knew that right so I didn't even go around my family yeah and that's it's freaking horrible and um but in my mind I was protecting them yeah from and me for for not losing them like. Indefinitely, because I knew I would say something or do something yeah. or, you know, but, um, but yeah, man. So, I mean, I, for the listeners, like people that go through PTSD, um, if, if they separate themselves from you, like just know that it's, don't take it personal. Um, just know that they have, they have to deal with what they got to deal with first before, yeah. you know, they can, they can come around more people because um, if they don't, they'll say something or do something that they'll regret. Yeah. 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 That's a hundred percent true. I was, um, I went to one of these, when I first started getting help, like really getting help in 2017, I was, I was in one of those group circles and, you know, kind of going around introducing yourself and like, what do you want out of this? And I, I was like, I said, uh, you know, I just want to get from here to the grave without hurting anybody else. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, is this real? Did I say that? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's. Um, so anyway, yeah, I was in a really, really, really bad place, but you know, I'm not in that place anymore. I was able to to take you know those experiences and those traumas and to process them and put them. Uh, I don't think they ever go away. Nah. They're part of who you are now. Um, but but you can take them and uh, process them. And then for me, I've I've learned to put it in its proper place. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm happier and, and healthier now than I've ever been. And so for for anybody listening that is living with PTSD, the 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 treatment sucks because you're going to dig into these things, and it sucks. It sucks reliving your worst experiences and exposing yourself and um. You know, but like, I haven't even been in a real argument in probably two years. Yeah. I haven't been in a fight. I haven't raised my voice. Um, you know, and so for those of you wondering, like, maybe I'm broken forever. I used to think that, but, but there are absolutely things you can do and it will absolutely change the quality of your life. My, my biggest regret, um, is not getting help sooner. Yeah. Um, because I could have, I could have saved myself and others a lot of suffering. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, there was four. There was whoa. For four years, I didn't know what what yeah. PTSD was. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So that and that, and that's why I'm real big at like awareness saves lives because yes. as soon as I figured out like what I had, I dove into like okay, how can I fix fix this shit? Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and then that's when the path started. You know, to recovery. Yeah. And there's veterans out there, man. There's first responders out there. There's people, there's regular people out there that have been in car accidents. Oh yeah. Almost died. There's you know, we have war on the streets yeah. through gangs and stuff. People, people's kids get murdered, you know, stuff like that. Like, so it's not just people in uniform. Oh like, no. They go, they go through PTSD and I just want everybody to know that. And, uh, and I, I make an effort to say that on most of my podcasts, that way they understand that it's not just, people that go to war. No, oh, yeah, it's yeah. it's absolutely not that. Um, you know, family trauma is very real and uh, this is not something I'm really to 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 delve into. Um, but, you know, I did 
you know, frontline combat in Iraq and Fallujah and all of that. And I also came from a very unstable, unhealthy household. And uh, uh, of the two, the one, you know, war was war was scary. It was painful. Um, you might die. Um, and so that comes with its own kind of complications. But coming from a really unhealthy household will make you hate yourself. Yeah. And uh, well, it's because it's people you love. You're supposed to love. Yeah. yeah. So they're supposed to love you back. Yeah. And that's where your sense yeah. of self worth comes from. That's right. where you learn conflict resolution, and that's where you learn, you know, people skills and and stuff like that. And um, I know there's people out there that you know had worse childhoods than me, and um, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't even take the physical or the sexual violence, you know, the yeah. emotional violence, the being treated like property, the being mocked or ridiculed or humiliated or put down. And, um, you know, that's, that all forms your character. I mean, yeah, you know, and, and, it, and your character is what helps you get through hard times, you know, and, and, um, yeah, so that's, that's a very real deal. Absolutely. Um, let's jump into your, the new documentary. Yeah, sure. So kind of explain what the new documentary is going to be about and why you, you're pursuing this. Yeah. Um, so this all started, I, I met this, this young lady. She was an RN, a registered nurse um, in Denver, Colorado. And this was during the Delta wave, during the pandemic. And, and I remember meeting her and she had this, uh, she had just come off a shift. She did intubation and extubation, like putting the tubes in, the breathing tubes in and taking the breathing tubes out. And that's what she did, uh, you know, all day, every day. And um, she had this look on her face. I've only seen in one other place. And that was on um, the faces of the Marines after we were coming off of like an extended, extended time on the front line, just this, this stare and this kind of like the, the, kind of twitchy eye movement and that just look of like, there's nothing left to give. Um, and you know, she was just like the robot walk and I'm like talking to her and she's just like, yeah, all my patients died. All of them had a whole new set of patients today. And, um, she was just talking about, uh, you know, her experience. She told me about it and I started to wonder, I was like, this, this woman has PTSD. I was like, how many, how many, nurses are having these experiences like and how many of them are struggling with this and um as i started to dig into it i was really alarmed um that nobody's actually collecting the data yeah. on this stuff it's not being centralized anywhere so if like a veteran commits suicide or has al sub alcohol or substance abuse this stuff gets recorded because and centralized by the va right you know we just had to bury a good friend um not this last saturday but the saturday before that and his family not knowing what to do called the VA and they helped set up the burial benefits. And so the VA knows when, when, when something happens to a veteran. And that was uh, a suicide as well. Um, he, he actually drank himself to death on the 20 year anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, um, March 19th. Wow. Um, Sorry to hear that. Man. Yeah, it sucks. It was a, that was a hard hit. He was a good one. I really liked him and really, really great guy, really great Marine. Um, was there any red flags on that? Yeah, he was struggling with substance abuse and alcoholism, and uh, he's been struggling since since we got out. And so it was, um, shoot, he had been he'd been sober for more than two months when, I guess it was just the twenty year anniversary. Yeah. He just woke up and, um, yeah, it was a it was really hard, it was a tough one. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a big deal. 
especially with PTSD, man, dates, yeah, you know, times, yeah, smells, anything, anything can. Somebody says something that like yeah. you know, reminds you of that triggers person. are real, man. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, so so. I met that nurse and I started doing, trying to find out like how bad is PTSD with our healthcare workers. And then that led me into, um, I actually remember reading, it was a Rutterman uh, white paper from the Rutterman foundation. And it had, um, you know, we, we had, I'm, I'm going to mess up these numbers cause I don't have them in front of me, but I think it was like 2019, a hundred firefighters were killed in the line of duty. Um, they recorded more suicides than that. Um, and they also thought that, you know, these are only, they made a point of like, these are only the recorded suicides. There's a lot of suicides, like a police, you know, it doesn't, the data's not going anywhere. It's yeah. not like it's being centralized. So a, a firefighter checks out and they just scratch them off the payroll or a firefighter retires and checks himself out. It just that data doesn't go anywhere. And so we didn't know how bad it was. And once I started trying to get this data together, I realized like, oh my God, this is a horrible problem. Like we're losing more first responders to suicide, like a lot more, like maybe two or three times more um, than we're losing in the line of duty. And so um, it's not just that, it's the healthcare workers, but I've been interviewing firefighters, police officers, EMTs, doctors, nurses, um, yeah. and uh, you know, trying to find out what's going on. It's a, it's a serious problem. It's very serious. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm I'm a police officer myself. Been that's going into my fifteenth year, and um, three three close people, you know, officers committed suicide. Wow, uh, close, that were close to me. Yeah, and um, uh, and that's why I like I advocate for this a lot. That's why I do the I wrote the book, and that's why I do the podcast. You know, um, you got to take action, man. Yep. You know, if if you know, if you've been through it, and you came out the other end, and you got everything intact, you know, together, um, I think of it as it's my duty to to put this in front of everybody, <laughs> you know, and and honestly, they should have it in the police academies, the fire academies, like when you first first get on as a, a doctor or nurse, whatever. Um, they should all have training in this Absolutely. because, because I didn't, I didn't have any, any, yeah, any no, training. I didn't even and, know what was happening while no, it was happening. No. And, uh -huh. um, and the thing is, is that with first responders, you know, most of the time we, we get called, it's not on someone's best day. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Generally so, not. Yeah. So whenever we're going at night after night after night, you're seeing, Homicide after homicide, rape victim yeah. after rape victim, burn victim, accident victims. You're seeing all these different um, injuries, rapes, you know, uh, kids with their heads chopped off, uh, car accidents where the kids are burned. And, uh, and you just, you, you, first of all, you feel helpless if yep. you get there too late, yep. right? So that's a burden on you. I should have got there faster. I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, I know I had a shooting that I wrote about in my book. Um, and uh, that one right there was definitely, definitely guilt that I was suffering from because yeah. even though I saved the woman that was getting attacked, I, I wasn't able to save the neighbor that 
yeah. try to intervene, you know? And, uh, and yeah, that tore me up, man. I'm big sure. time. And I, um, to the point where like I drank myself to sleep on a nightly basis uh-huh. and I woke up one night, man, or I just woke up out of it one night and I was sitting on my couch with my gun in one hand and with a uh, <laughs> glass of whiskey in my other. And I was like, what the fuck? Did you have any clothes on? I, yeah, I, I had shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, and I was just like, man, what the fuck? Is, why do I have my fucking gun in my hand? Yeah. You know, like, yes, I, so I, I, I do know. <laughs> I like, it was just a straight blackout. You yeah. Know? And mm-hmm. um, after that, man, I just, something had to change, bro. Yeah. You know? Well, thank God. Uh, I mean, thank God you. I mean, thank God you took those took those steps, man. It's it's happened to me more than once. Yeah. And it, I mean, it you know it really did. I struggled for for years and years, and um, yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. So. Yeah. So this documentary that you're doing, um, it's it's going to be powerful, man, because all the different interviews that you're doing, everybody has their own story. None of us know each other, well, except for uh, Monica, the one I, I I sent you to, but. I mean, I know her, but yeah, I don't know her. Yeah, you know her. Um, and she's in a totally different field. She's a nurse. You know, I'm a police officer. Um, but man, all these are powerful, man. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna see that feedback whenever you put this out. You're gonna see that feedback from all these different fields, and I guarantee you it's gonna be positive, man. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of people out there that are looking for an answer to get us on the right path of healing. Yeah. You know, but nobody nobody really knows how to do it yeah. in a in an effective way. There's a lot of stuff out there that they try to try to make it, you know, they try to help, but does it really? Yeah. You know, and um so yeah, I think a, a bring, bringing a documentary up like this uh it, it'll definitely open people's eyes. I hope so, man. Yeah. It's people don't realize, you know, we you know, you and me and the other veterans, we get, we get handshakes. We, you know, when we came back from Iraq, we got hugs, we got handshakes, you know, we got healthcare, we had resources and, and, you know, the Vietnam vets, they didn't have that. And they, you know, they fought two wars. They fought the war in Vietnam and then they fought the war at home to make sure that we didn't go through what they went through. Um, and, You know, our first responders, our medical, our, our medical workers, they serve our country too. Right. And, and their injuries are just as real and just as valid um, as, you know, my injuries, as your injuries, as any injury from any soldier, sailor, Marine. And, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to me that, that you know, society and is willing to take care of us, but we're not willing to take care of the people that fight that war at home. And, and it is. I mean, I'm not... I don't want to put the numbers out there yet, but I think we're losing like substantially yeah. more first responders are killed in the line of duty than soldiers are killed every year. And so if you're we're just definitely you're losing a lot, losing a lot, I mean, it's in the hundreds and I mean, we're not losing, we didn't lose a hundred, hundred soldiers in Iraq last year. Yeah. And, um, and, and I but mean, not, not only that though. So like, um, and I, I kind of wanted to touch on this earlier, but not only that. So, like I, I, I was, I was telling Raul earlier, because I was military as well. The the difference that I see 
between the military and first responders, the only difference I've seen is when we come back from war in the military, you know, we focus on recovery, right? Getting our shit straight, getting on the right path, um, doing the right thing, building a family, so on, so on, so on, so on. With first responders, that's their career. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's non it's nonstop. And even if you're active in the military, you go on your on your tours, you come back and you're you're back for a few months and then you go back, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. With here, we don't have a few months yeah. in between. So it's 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 nonstop day night in, night out, day in, day yeah. out. And I can say that we are one of the only professions that are targeted because of the badge that we wear. Yeah. You know, and the mental struggle that we have, a lot of us have, especially if we live in the same city Mm -hmm. that we patrol, like our family is our targets. Yeah. You know, um, we've had it to where uh, officers were shot in the back, just leaning into somebody's car. Yeah. You know, and no reason at all. You know, um, it's just, it's just, it, it's, it's sad, man. But it, it puts a different kind of strain on on that on that mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's um, part of the documentary. I, I went and did a ride along with uh, HPD on the south side, and getting back in that patrol car and like hitting the street with them, like mentally. Yeah, I felt I don't I don't know how to like I felt my my senses perk up. You know, I, I started becoming really aware and like constantly doing threat analysis and like it was basically like you know that 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 animal instinct that preservation instinct got flipped back on and it took it took several days for it to wear back off and like it was. You know, y'all do that literally every day. You did it the first time we met yeah. <laughs> in person. Oh, yeah. um, and, um, you know, it's that on, off, on, off. And that's just not how the human brain works. Yeah. Um, See, I was on patrol for 10 years and it was, um, and yeah, every night, man, whenever we got in the car, like, you got to be aware that you're in a marked unit. Yeah. You know, if something happens, people are running to that marked unit. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you have to be aware of your surroundings um, during training, you know, it's, and this is, this is why they do it. Uh, during training, they'll stop in the middle of the street and be like, hey, where are you at? What street? Yeah. What block? And you better, you, you you better, better know. You, you yeah. better know. And the reason why they do that is because, because we're in a mark unit, someone can run out in the middle of the street, which they've done it many, many, many times to me, run out in the middle of the street Hey, my husband just collapsed in the backyard. Yeah. Or or hey, someone just got shot or whatever. And you gotta know where the hell you're at. Absolutely. You know, and then deal with and assess the situation. Mm-hmm. And like it's just it's a lot, man. But you know what? Honestly, man, I I, I can't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 something that that it it's an adrenaline rush every day when you're on the street. Uh it's something that interests that piques my interest every day. Yeah. You know, um, and and I love it. It's just you just got to deal with <laughs> you yeah. got to deal with the side effects of of loving something like that. You yeah, know? it's you know. But I was speaking about this in one of the interviews. You know the things that make 
police officers, first responders, or EMTs, um, firefighters, what makes them good at the job is their ability to to adapt to the situation and to desensitize, you know, to shut off those feelings and those emotions. You know, if you're in the middle of a trying to, you know, cut a child out of a car or something, you can't be sobbing like a baby while you're doing it. Um, you need to desensitize. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, when you, when you shut, cr- you know, cram that stuff down inside of you, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It's like paying for something with a credit card. It's a debt that still needs to be paid off. And whatever debt you don't pay off is collecting interest. And what makes you a good police officer, a good firefighter, a good EMT, that ability to turn that off is also what separates you from your friends and family Mm -hmm. because you stop being able to connect with them. You know, police, you can't, you can't be a police officer in the street and be that same police officer to your spouse and to your children. And um, well, I think that's why police officers, firefighters, um, military. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, 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 our professions lead in, in divorce. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the thing is, is that it, t- it takes away empathy, right? Yeah. Um, and when you come home, it's hard to switch. Yeah. I, I think it's actually impossible to switch. I don't yeah. think that's how the human brain works. Um, you know, I spoke with spoke with one police officer, and he shows up on scene, and and um, his partner's trying to resuscitate like an obviously dead child, yeah. um, and you know he was in shock and trying to to do CPR because it was pretty plain to the EMTs that this child could not be resuscitated. Um, you know, and and what happens when they come? You know, he he goes back to the he goes back to his office, does his paperwork, and then goes back out into the street. And then that night, he has to go home to his wife and his daughter. Yeah. Um, and so think about think about the next day, right? Think about the next day, and, and, and his wife comes to him bitching and complaining about something minor. Yeah. It's huge to her. In his mind or her mind, the officer's mind or the, or the firefighter's mind, like – I just saw somebody yeah. die yeah. last night. Like, this is nothing compared to that. Yeah. Why, why are you riled up right now? Yeah. And, but, but that tears up family. That, that tears absolutely up different, t- you know, yeah, it destroys your relationship. destroys it. And, you know, I think that's ultimately what's, I don't know what the answer is, but if, in my opinion, from what I've seen, is I think that's ultimately um, ends up being the cause of the suicide. It's not the, the the PTSD by itself, but it's pushing like like you said we were talking earlier like you end up like afraid you're like the people I'm causing the people around me yeah. to suffer like and the only way I cannot hurt them is to be away from them and you know and then then it just keeps building from there yeah. it's it's well then maybe maybe it is better for me to just be gone yeah you yeah. know what I mean oh uh, yes and, and, I and, do and, <laughs> and, and, and that's and that's and you know what um, I have some family members, some friends too, that when they see somebody commit suicide or whatever, oh, they're pussies. Yeah. That's you need to man the fuck up. Yeah. You know, I don't, whatever. That's I an don't, easy way out. Yeah. I and don't to be like honest that. with you, man, that's that's a hard way out. <laughs> You're yeah. checking out for good. Yeah. yeah. That is a, that that's a that's not one of the hardest ways. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I don't I I I don't I mean, yeah, I don't I don't it, know. But then again, 
you know, a lot of those people that say that kind of stuff never been through. Yeah, shit. no, they don't know. Nobody, you know I mean? nobody that's nobody that's experienced that kind of emotion and that state of mind will sit there and trash somebody that's yeah. that's living through it um, or not living through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just it's crazy how um, some people handle that, you know. And, and and you would think that the numbers would speak for itself. Yeah. You know, the amount of veterans that commit suicide daily, the amount of fire, firefighters and police officers and nurses and doctors, and it's all across the board. Yeah. You know, um, and so I, I thank you for, for uh, concentrating on, on first responders and, and um, trying to put a spotlight on it. You know, we were talking, you know, you and me, we got, we got our benefits because of the Vietnam veterans yeah. and what they did when they came home. And, you know, it's what I want our legacy, our generation of veterans, um, what I want our legacy to be is we, we're going to bring what we got, what the Vietnam veterans gave to us. I want our generation to give that to our first responders, the, the respect and the support, yeah. um, uh, that, that they deserve it. I don't, they don't just deserve it. I feel like as a society, we have a duty to care for them because they're, they've received these injuries prote protecting and serving us. I mean, they're giving us their physical and mental health and their lives in many cases. And, you know, and then they end up having to carry this burden by themselves. And that's just, that's just not right. No, I totally agree. And, and you know, um, when a veteran dies, the spouse will get, you know, a, even some of the, um, pay as well yeah, yeah. Uh, disability or something um with first responders that's not the case yeah you know um they get whatever they stowed away in in 401k or you know deferred comp or whatever they they did themselves but nothing like that yeah nothing nothing no disability no nothing like that and um and they're a single parent now yeah you know with however many kids they have you know and it's just they have to deal with it yeah you know Sure, there's, there's. I mean, we do fundraisers and stuff for them, but I it's mean, not enough, that, and, and that stuff and wears stops. off, and then yeah. it stops, yeah. and and that's not. I mean, it's just not right. Some things aren't yeah. right, you know. These people, they're 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 suffering and dying because yeah. they're 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 serving us. Oh yeah, and, oh yeah. So um, one of the things I also do too is I help people that have addictions, uh, first responders specifically. Um, get the help they need, different facilities, you know, stuff like that. Um, if they don't have the money to do it, I try to get them a scholarship um, through a facility. And what that is is basically they take on the the client and they use it as a write-off. Yeah. You know, and most of these facilities have a couple a year, you know, that they can give out. Um, so we kind of have to juggle, you know, yeah. it's a numbers game. But, um, but if we don't find a scholarship, they got to come out of pocket. You know, and a lot of times, a lot of these police officers, firefighters, I mean, we don't get paid a lot, you know, and we have families on top of that. Um, not only do we have to pay that deductible, the couple grand or five grand or whatever it costs, sometimes it's up to 10 grand. <clears throat> um, not only do we have to pay that, but we'll be out for a month or however long yeah. the, the recovery is. The, the facility is and during that month 
We're not working extra jobs. We're not working overtime. We're not, no extra incomes coming in. And you might not have vacation. It's not, if you don't have 30 yeah. days of paid vacation racked up, you're going without pay. Yeah, exactly. So, and that, and that in turn hurts the family. So it's, it's kind of like, if you don't have the funds to do it, that's yeah. a repellent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a huge barrier. Why would I, why would I, why would I do that? Yeah. You know, why would I help myself if, if I try to help myself, it's going to hurt my family. Yeah. I spoke yeah. with, um, you know, speaking with Doug Griffith over at the, um, Houston police officers union. He's like, man, they've got to, they've got to meet a deductible. Sometimes that's five to $10,000 because of the programs we have. Then they got to go without pay if they don't have vacation. And then, and I was like, so how much is it going to cost like a police officer? Like say he needs 30 days of inpatient rehab or 30 days of treatment. He's like fifteen to $20,000. No, like easy if we can't get scholarships. Oh, I've fund. seen it all the way to 60K. Yeah. Yeah. Where, and, For and a month. yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, okay, do I go get help at the expense of the quality of life for my family? Yeah. And so, so that's one of the biggest barriers I'd like to overcome is, is I'm going to try to get enough support here to start a charity and it's going to, it's going to help fill that gap, help them meet their deductibles and help keep their families paid so that we can remove that financial barrier yeah. um, that's keeping them from getting the help they need. The other one is stigma and the stigma is real. It is super duper real. You know, people don't, oh, yeah. I mean, tell you, tell, 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 I mean, you, you know, I mean, what's it like for you, for you? So, so when I, when, when I went through uh, my traumatic events, uh, early on as a, as a police officer, we didn't have any advocates for PTSD. Yeah, there was nothing. Yeah. Uh, that was in 2009. Um, it was three days off, go see your shrink, pass the test or pass her test. And then the next day after that, you're, you're back on the street. Mm -hmm. um, stuff was bothering you. Who you talk to? You know, yeah. um, the, the the psychiatrist that I went to, our therapist, was through our police department. Um, she was awesome. She was awesome as a therapist. She Was she helpful? I didn't think so. Um, I didn't think she was helpful just because she, she never been through anything yeah. that we've been through. So with her, everything was by the book, right? And you should be you should be here, and you're not here. You know what, what's going on? Yeah. That's everything. And like, well, you know. So it, it was. Um, I think what helped me the most, though, was peer support. Okay. So that what helped me the most was they had a. Um, it's called a Lehman. Um, and they, they had it in, what's that college? Um, Sam Houston. And uh, it was a week long, seven days, seven nights. We went over there uh, and it was, I believe it was 10 or 11 officers that been through like legit um, trauma, traumatic events, right? And... Um, they would go one by one, you know, they, they'd talk about their events one by one. And while they were talking about it, I'm sitting here like, man, these motherfuckers are worse off than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they put it in perspective, man. Uh, whenever you see your peers, other officers, 
going through the same stuff or worse things and still trying to like hold it all together and recover. And it, it puts it in a perspective. Like I, I can do this shit. Yeah. You know, um, he's at, he's at a different point in his recovery that I'm not there yet, but I see the light through him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's, he's back with his family doing good shit with his family. Like I'm still fucking separated from everybody. Yeah. Like, I see him doing good. That means I could do do good type thing. So just I just got to stick with it type. You yeah. Know? And um, there's a lot of good that came out of it, man. Um, uh, they did a couple of things uh, with the with the eyes. Uh, dang, what's that? What's that called? Uh, the therapy. EMDR. EMDR. Uh, eye, eye movement. Yeah. Desensitization or something. Rehabilitation. It was pretty good, man. Yeah, good. It, it, Glad it, was, it works it was, for you. It was pretty good. Uh, it didn't work all the way. But it did. It did. If it helps, it, it helps. did help a little, you yeah. know. And um, and I'll take it. You know, I definitely would take it. So there's stuff out there that helps. I, of course, everybody's case by case. It's going to be a case by case, yeah. and and just don't give up. Just keep trying, yeah. and it's worth it. You know, and and you know, we've been talking about all this doom and gloom, and you know, yeah. I. But like you know, I'm I'm happier now than I've ever been ever in my entire life and like the quality of my life. Like, you know, before I was just like, God, I, you know, I've got another 50 years until I die of old yeah. age. And now I'm like, man, this life thing is pretty cool. I want to, I want to, you know, let's go try stuff. Let's go do stuff. And you know, it's, it's it makes you appreciate everything. Oh my God. I just, and, and like just looking back like five years ago and just the quality of my life and the quality of my thoughts then, and like today, it's like, I, I it's like being let out of a prison or having this giant monkey taken off of my back. I mean, it's there's still stuff I deal with, but like when it used to be pretty much all bad days all the time, now bad days are really, really rare. Like, yeah. um, you know, this, you know, losing Bobby that was that was really, really hard. And there was a lot of pain, a lot of grief, but it wasn't it didn't come with that self-hatred yeah. that used to come with it before. And so like now I've, I've learned to, you know, to experience, you know, unpleasant uh, emotions without, you know, being set off or, you know, going down this horrible rabbit hole or drinking myself unconscious. I've learned how to deal with friction and interpersonal conflict um, and keep a cool head and, how to just defuse situations and um, and you learned all that how um, I did I did a lot of reading um, I read a lot of books a lot of stuff on Buddhist meditation a lot of well, a couple of, a couple of your best books oof um, for for interpersonal relationships just understanding the basics. Um, as far as learning the basics, if, if you either didn't grow up in a household where you knew, like where you had good role models for how to deal with things, um, there's, uh, the Dale Carnegie books are all spectacular winning friends and influencing people. Um, like that was something that, that just like, Oh, here's how you can do this. Um, that just didn't occur to me. You know what I mean? They don't teach you that stuff in the Marine Corps. Um, and so if you're like, man, I just have a lot of, like my, 
like my interactions with people are just not great. Like that's a really good foundation. Yeah. You might not agree with everything you know he says, but as far as like, oh, okay, this is a good place to start. Um, but you know, I read a lot of Marcus Aurelius, um, Stoicism, but I mean, I read Socrates and Plato and Aristotle too. Um, the gosh, there's just so many books. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there, man, and um, and and that's why on on my episodes I always ask like, are there any books that you read that yeah, helped yeah. you out? Or, yeah, because there's people out there, man, that are that are lost right now, and yeah. like, this might be the the episode where you're like, oh, well, let me look into this. You know? Yeah, and um, and man, it's it's uh it's good to know that that uh everybody has a different different approach approach and, on how to get healthy you know what what ultimately i think did it did it for me was that like i i i came to the conclusion that the quality of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts and the quality of your relationships that is yeah. that is that is my focus and my goal in life is to be happy and to be fulfilled and if I want that, I need to have good thoughts and I need to have good relationships. And people with depression, anxiety, PTSD, that is just a never-ending train yeah. of negative and painful thinking and reoccurring thinking. And so for me, it was like, okay, I have to retrain myself to think. And so learning to acknowledge like, okay, here are some really bad or unhealthy thoughts and and learning to process them and put them away or at least not to engage them and not to let them grow or to dictate your behavior. Um, and so just recognition was a huge step journaling, um, like, like being able to like write down, okay, well today I, I lost, you know, I, you know, the stuff you'll see in here now is like somebody cut me off and I laid on my horn yeah. and it used yeah. to be bad. Yeah. Um, Journaling's great. Yeah. And, and yeah. just being able to like look at your thoughts and like, yeah. and I take, well, cause like, you can show your progression. Yeah. Or. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And like looking back from my, my stuff from several years ago, like, wow, man, I was in bad shape. Yeah. Um, That's how I wrote my book. Yeah. My journaling. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I would, I would, if I had a real fucked up incident at yeah, work yeah, yeah. or whatever, I'd, I'd jot down, you know, certain things. Okay. But yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, brother. That's been a pleasure man. for sure. Thank and, you so um, much for having me. I hope that um, what you're doing, I hope you succeed in all this stuff, man, because if you do, that just gets us in a better place. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? And um, if you need any help at all, you already know. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Um, the Charlie Mike podcast studio out of Pearland. Uh, thank y'all for having us here. Uh, this place is great. If uh, anybody wants to start a podcast, if anybody wants to have, if everybody has questions at all about podcasting or starting their own thing, come over here. They'll, they'll explain everything to you. They'll sit down with you and take you from step one to, to finishing it off. Um, thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. And and before we go, I just um, you know, thank you to Charlie Mike for having us, but also um a very, very special thank you to uh, Elise Hoff um and the Easter Seals of Greater Houston. They're the reason like they have been championed for me and providing the 
support and the resources necessary to do this. And um, they are huge advocates and huge supporters of disabled veterans and also like the physically and mentally disabled. Um, and, and they are just an incredible institution with incredible people that have so much to offer. And so if you're if you need help, I mean, you should absolutely reach out to them and, and you can find them at EasterSealsHouston.org. Uh, and again, just, you know, thank, I'm just so grateful to them for, uh, you know, this just wouldn't be happening without them. And so I'm really awesome. grateful to them. And if y'all want to help um, Joe on his mission, you can probably contact them and make a donation to them in his name. And, uh, <laughs> and they could, and they'll probably redirect those funds to him uh, and just, what he's do, what he's doing here. Um, also, uh, silent screams, number one, bestseller, three different categories, site categories, please get it. It goes over, uh, my trauma on the streets and also, um, how to spot out red flags on PTSD and trauma victims and also where to get help and how to get help, how to so, approach people, uh, the right way yep. and, uh, get them the help they need. Um, so they can come back home and live a healthy life, raise a healthy family, be good citizens, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, brother. And uh, also, if y'all want uh, any Battle Bud merchandise at all, podcast or um, soon-to-be nonprofit, um, go to battlebudproject.com, battlebudproject.com. Tons of merchandise on there. Thanks, guys. <laughs>